0: The, the front row and was singing that song i was I was thinking about a refrigerator, and it just filled with all these pictures and scribbles and drawings from 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 a child to a mother or a father, and how that they're put on that re- refrigerator in a place of honor in the house and to anybody else. They're garbage. They should be thrown away. (laughs) But to mom and dad, they're priceless treasures, right? And so, as we withhold nothing, and as, as Paul prayed, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, he takes it, he hangs it, and says, It's mine. It's mine. So, today we celebrate that. We celebrate a God who is our Father who even expresses himself sometimes as a mother, who cares deeply and nurtures us. I'm grateful today, grateful today to serve a God like that. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You're beautiful. What a great crowd. It's just, it's just great to look out and, and see you. Now, Now you are beautiful, beautiful to look at. But you're beautiful when you sing. You're beautiful when you do for one another. And I tell you, I tell you what makes this crowd stunning. It's the moms, right? Amen. Let's give them a hand one more time. (laughs) Mamas, we love you. We love you. And I, 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 I know that some of you are pretty close, but I don't think there's any perfect moms in here some pretty close ones pretty close to perfect but there's no perfect moms in here but as i grow to love and know the women of this church community one of the things i appreciate appreciate about you is that even when you fail even when you fall many of you do it gracefully even when you fall and when you fail you're teaching your children about humility you're teaching your children how to ask for forgiveness you're teaching your children how to come to a heavenly father and say I, I, I've wronged you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Well, I want to show you something funny really quick. My son found this on Instagram this morning. This was 4 a.m. this morning, somewhere in the United States of America. Okay, yeah, look close. They're not doing what you first thought they were doing. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're picking out their Mother's Day cards. I hope that was none of you this morning at 4 a.m. Or if you haven't, the, the, the CVS is still open, I think. I love, to, I love to read when our celebrities, when people that we admire, talk about someone that they admire the most. And, and many times that's their mother. I love to read these little quotes and, and things like that. And so I wanted to read, to start out this morning, just by reading some of these famous people's quotes about their moms. <clears throat> the first one I found was uh, Soledad O'Brien, the television news anchor and, and reporter. And she's talking about her mother, Estella. And she says, My mother, a high school teacher, never paid that much attention to what anybody else thought about her. So today I feel comfortable making decisions even if other people don't agree. Great. And then NBA superstar LeBron James, he loves his mama. And he said about Gloria, I had my mother to blanket me, to give me security. When I was growing up, she was my mother, my father, everything. To grow up in a single-parent household, to see what she could do all by herself, that gave me a lot of strength. Being a mother is the toughest job in the world. Amen, moms? (laughs) It's tougher than being a professional athlete or being the president. It's a powerful thing. Mothers should have more than one day. And then Hillary Clinton, the former Secretary of State, former First Lady, she's talking about her mother, Dorothy. She says, people ask of me all the time, how did you survive that? Or how do do you do all this? It's really because of my mother and the encouragement she gave me. My mom didn't have very good mothering herself. I didn't know that. So to learn how to mother with just on-the-job training was so inspirational to me. Jennifer Garner, an actress, she says about her mom, Patricia, the joy that my mom took in having a beautiful house and putting a beautiful meal down in front of us and always having something ready for a guest really inspires me. I used to be sort of messy, but now I laugh at myself because I kind of like to come home and tidy things up. And some of you will understand this last part. I'm turning in to my mom. <laughs> How many of you have said that before? Or your dad. Dr. Ben Carson, retired neurosurgeon and a columnist. He says this about his mother, Sonia. If my mother had not been such a positive influence in my life and had not stressed education as much as she did, I would definitely not have made it into medicine. I probably would not have found my way to college at all. And the last one, I I love Tina Fey. (laughs) Tina Fey talks about her mother, Jean, and she says, I get my sense of humor from my mom. There are so many quiet times you spend as a mother that aren't glorified but are a foundation for your kids. No matter what, there was always a thick safety net under this trapeze. I like that. So No, it probably doesn't come to any surprise to you that that those celebrities said that about their moms, right? You often see at the award shows that people think God and their mom, God and mom, and then whoever else fill in the blank. But they attribute their success to their moms. And I'm sure if we had time, we could let many of you come up and do the same thing and say, hey, mom, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be who I I am today. Well, I want to talk about one more celebrity, this morning and this celebrity is not found in the pages of a magazine it's actually found in the he's actually found in the pages of the bible he was the apostle paul's right-hand man and although he was very young he was impressive he impressed those around him paul even wrote some words of encouragement to him because of his youth he said don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but set an example for the believers in speech, and conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul mentions this, this young man as the co-sender of six of his letters. And, and at one point, he even calls this young man, my true son in the faith. He brags on Timothy a lot. He brags on him when he, when he writes to the Philippian church. And eventually, this young man became a pastor. And when he became a pastor, Paul writes him two letters of encouragement, two very important letters, and we can read them today. And they're the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. Now, although Timothy was young, he, he was one of those people you could just you could just count on him. Paul, when he was able to go on at least three of his journeys himself, he sent Timothy, said, hey, go and represent me. And although he had no children of his own that we know of, Paul called Timothy my beloved child timothy was just a a a guy that we would probably like to know we'd probably love to meet him but today i don't want to talk about timothy timothy's not the focus i bet if if we could have timothy come up here and interview him like the celebrities and 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 ask him some questions he would probably first want to say hey before before we get started i just want to thank god and i want to thank my my mentor paul but I got to thank my mom. I got to thank my mama for, for who I am today. But we don't have to do that. We don't have to get a time machine and bring Timothy here because actually, Paul did it for him. Paul actually thanked, in a way, his mom, Timothy's mom, and not only his mom, but his grandmother as well. We can read it in 2 Timothy 1 5. We're going to stay in that passage a good bit this morning and one other I'll mention later. But 2 Timothy 1 5 says this. I'm remind, and this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So today on Mother's Day, we're not going to learn from Timothy and we're not going to learn from his mentor Paul. We're going to learn from the two most influential people in Timothy's life, his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. But, Let me make it clear. This message this morning is not just for moms, okay? So everybody that's not a mom, don't turn it off, all right? Stay with me. This message is for everybody. What we can learn from Lois and Eunice applies to everyone who desires to be a follower of Christ. Now, admittedly, we don't know much about Lois and Eunice. Pretty much everything we know, I've read already, there's, there's one or two more little verses that we can read to get a little clue. One of them is in Acts 16. And so I'd like for us to look at that very quickly. Acts 16.1 is describing one of Paul's journeys. And it says this, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. See, the relationship was an interracial relationship. But what I want to focus on here is that it was also not necessarily balanced as, as far as belief in God. If we can infer, it doesn't say it explicitly, but we can infer that, that Timothy's father was probably not a believer in Christ. So, so when Paul praises Timothy's grandmother and mother, he's actually commending them for being the, the spiritual backbone of the family. There's one more passage in Paul's letters to Timothy that we're going to look at. So we'll keep that 2 Timothy 1.5 open, but then also put your finger in this one. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. We're going to use those two verses together, those two passages together to teach us this morning. We're going to learn these important lessons from Lois and Eunice. But before we do that, before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. When we open it, how it comes alive to us and how it teaches us and molds us and makes us into who you want us to be if we allow it. And God, we thank you for the people in the Bible, real people, people with struggles, people with hurts, people with disappointments, people that pleased you sometimes and then failed you at others. And God, we we thank you that they can be our examples, they can be our guides, and they can be our teachers. So this morning, we thank you for two ladies named Eunice and Lois. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Timothy 3. Let's read this together. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. From the time that Timothy was just a little baby, his mother and grandmother knew the value of teaching the scriptures to him. And this morning I want us to look at three lessons from these ladies. For each lesson we learn in 2 Timothy 1.5, there'll be a way that it's fleshed out in 2 Timothy 3.14-17. through 17. So keep both of these passages handy. Excuse me. The first thing that we learn from Lois and Eunice's faith is that an effective faith must be an authentic faith. Paul points this out in 1 5. Look at it very carefully. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. The Greek word here that Paul uses is Ianupokritos. Uh, I practiced it so many times. I had it right, and then I panicked just now. <laughs> the Greek word actually means unhypocritical. It kind of even sounds like it when you say it right. <laughs> sounds like that, that little pocretos in there. But it, it, it means unhypocritical, unfeigned, not faked. This is faith without a mask. In other words, this is not just the type of faith that you show when you come through those doors here. Right? This is the faith that you show on the way to here. And when you're not in this place. I mean, does this sound familiar at all? It's Sunday morning. He's mad at her because she has taken so doggone long. (laughs) And she's mad at him because he hadn't helped one time with the kids this morning. And they're mad at them because, well, they got them up early. And they wanted to sleep in. And they wanted to stay home and watch television. And so the ride on the way... It's pretty either quiet or pretty loud, one way or the other, but it ain't pleasant. <laughs> it's not good. And they're arguing, they're fighting, they're fussing, and he, she's complaining about the way he's driving, and, and he's complaining about, about the way she's nagging about his driving. And so they, they're fussing, they're fussing, they pull in the parking lot, and they open the door and they get out, and, good morning, how are you? <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? I'm fine, fine. Yeah, Christian, Christian F word, fine. <laughs> yeah. That's not authentic. That's not authentic at all. We've grown to misuse this word sincere that we find in in, in that scripture. It says sincere faith. Often when we say it, what do we think? We, we, We mean, oh, that person's intentions were good. That's what sincere means, right? Oh, yeah, he meant well. It didn't matter that he did something horrible. It doesn't matter that he did something wrong, but, oh, he was sincere. But that's not what sincere means. A sincere faith is not just a well-meaning faith. It's a transparent faith. It means that you are consistently who you are no matter where you are. Now, parents, I do want to talk to you for just a moment. I'm one too, so I'm talking to myself as well. Nobody knows you like your kids know you. When we stand in church and we sing, I give myself away. And then we say, oh, buddy, I'm sorry, but uh, <coughs> I'm sick. I can't come and help you uh, move today. Yeah. And, you know, we lie about that. Our kids are watching. They're watching, and they're confused. Or we say, oh, Lord, you were awesome. We sing that. And then we're driving in traffic, and we're going, <laughs> we're using the word Lord in all kinds of other different ways. <laughs> and we're saying, ah, I can't believe that guy did that. And our kids are watching. That's tough. That's tough. But authentic faith is that when when you are consistently living out your faith here and there, in here and out there. And whether you're a parent or not, if you're a follower of Christ, there are people that are watching you. And it may be somebody that's chronologically younger than you, or it may be somebody that's just younger than you in the faith, but they're watching you. They're looking for Number one up there, authenticity. But it's not just a a word on a wall that we like to put up there. You can't fake authenticity. It's kind of a... Yeah, antonym, is that right? Yeah, opposites. That's the word. They're opposites. But, But people are looking for authenticity. And let me make it clear, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about people that even when they do mess up, they're honest about that too. And they say, you know what, I messed up. They say... I need to ask for forgiveness. They go to God. They go to you. And they say, I I, I need to be forgiven. And I want to do better. And I want you to hold me accountable. That's authenticity. It's not perfection. It's just open book. This is me. And this is the way I'm living. And and when you do fall, you fall forward. Have you heard that before? When you fall, fall forward. Don't fall back. Because when you fall back, you're going backwards. Fall forward. That means you're falling into the arms of God. You're falling, and, and, and he, he will be the one that restores you. He will be the one that gets you back on the right track. The New King James Version of the Bible translates 2 Timothy 3.17 this way, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I studied this, this word also this week, and, and this word complete that's translated has a connotation of being ready, being ready right now, that's authentic faith, here and now, being ready. It's not faith reserved for a certain place or time, 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. When I studied this word this week, it made me think of, of, of a fireman or, or maybe a policeman, a policeman like uh, Jimmy that was up here singing, You're the, guy with the white guy with the tats. <laughs> That's Jimmy. He's a policeman. And when, and when he, when he go, is on duty, he has to be ready for action at a, at a moment's notice. He has to always be, and he has to always check and make sure that his equipment is safe and in good order so that he is thoroughly equipped, and not just thoroughly equipped with good physical equipment, but that he's also thoroughly equipped with the knowledge of what to do so that when crisis does happen, he's able to, at a moment's notice, jump into action. That is that the man of God may be complete, that he may be, he may be know exactly what to do, that it's just automatic. So a sincere faith is transparent, it's consistent, and it's ready to go at a moment's notice. It's the kind of faith that doesn't betray you. It's the kind of faith that doesn't betray you to the people that you know the best, your children, those, your spouse, those that you're around all the time. Lois and Eunice lived such a sincere faith that it impacted a little boy named Timothy, and he wanted that for himself. He wanted that kind of authentic faith for himself. Now, looking at 1.5 at again, we see a second lesson from Lois and Eunice. An effective faith is a living faith. Notice this. Your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. You know, it could be, it'd be easy for us to just skip over that word. You know, as we're reading that sentence, we, we don't notice that it says... That, that, that faith lived. But have you ever thought about your faith that way, your relationship with God as a, as a living thing? And what is it about living things? They can't be ignored. In order for them to stay alive, they have to, you have to pay attention to them, right? You can't just ignore them. They have to be nurtured like a mother would nurture. Now, my mom loves to work in her yard. It did not rub off on me. <laughs> Oh, by the way, by the way, do, do, did y'all enjoy our, um, the flowers that we grew for the moms out front? Those, those are for you. So it, on your way out, you can feel free to just pick one right out of the yard. <laughs> those are all for you. We just thought, thought you would enjoy those this morning. But yeah, my mom loves working in the yard, and she, she has some very beautiful roses. Now, roses, I understand, are pretty difficult to maintain. You can't just let them grow, and they just do their thing. But you have to pay attention. You have to prune and you have to fertilize and you have to water and you have to make sure they get the right amount of sunshine and that you have to make sure this type of bug doesn't get on. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And that is the same thing with our faith. Our faith to be living cannot just be ignored. We have to give it careful attention. Take a look again at what 2 Timothy 3.16, that second passage says. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, after you get past that teaching word, I kind of lose interest because I, like <laughs> I don't like that other stuff. Who, I mean, who, who wants to be rebuked? Raise your hand if you enjoy being rebuked. Uh, how, how many of you even know what that word means? Sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't even know what it means, but it does not sound like a good thing, right? Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody seeks after, hey, please correct me, correct me, rebuke me. No, they don't look for that. But it's for our own good. It's for our own good. None of us that, that have, have ever been trained for anything, if you have a trainer, you've heard these words right from their mouths, no pain, no gain. That's right. We don't like that. But, it, but it's true. You see, God's Word sometimes may cut us. It may cut us. The Bible even claims that about itself. But God uses his word to do heart surgery. I love this verse in Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword or scalpel. (laughs) It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what scripture does when we let it. When we allow it, sometimes it cuts, but it's surgery. It's surgery. I like to think of a living faith in terms of this. When, when, when something ceases to live, what do we call it? Dead. It's dead. In fact, some of you could probably finish this quote from the Bible with me. Faith without works is... Faith without works is dead. In fact, let's look at that scripture. It comes from James 2. James two fourteen through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Oh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, when it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Lois and Eunice had a living faith. Their faith was not dead, it was living. And and they showed it by embracing the Scriptures, by teaching the Scriptures to Timothy. But I'm sure it wasn't just teaching, but it said that it was sincere. In other words, they were letting Scripture mold their own lives. And I'm sure that, that they were... As they were being molded, they were serving other people. Their their faith without works is dead. And so they were working. And they were working hard. And they were serving their their community. And they were serving their family. Their faith was alive. The third thing that I want you to see from Lois and Eunice is that an effective faith, it can't be held on to. It's it's got to be passed along. Look Look at how it's phrased again. Your sincere faith... Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And then we read earlier in Second Timothy three, how he says, "How from infancy you have known the holy Scriptures, which are, made, are 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 to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." From infancy, it was passed along mother's milk, and, and scripture from, from the very, very beginning. Now, I've been familiar with this 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 passage for a while because back in the dark ages when I was a student at Point University, Atlanta Christian College, we had a professor, and it was a required class, just about everybody had to take it. We had a professor that had us memorize these different scriptures, and, and, and this first... 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 was an important scripture for us. And we would memorize it and study it because we were, he, he wanted us to, to, to grasp the fact, the value uh, of scripture. He wanted us to know how valuable that scripture is in, in the life of a believer and, and what scripture is used for. And so we memorized that scripture. But it was not until I was preparing this sermon this week that it just dawned on me that it really sank in, the whole context of it that, that second, second Timothy 3 is not just about how that we use Scripture for our own good and how that we use Scripture for our own lives and how it shapes us, but the context, the verse right before it informs us it's also about how we teach others, that we use it for other people, we use it for our children, we use it for, for the, the, the people that are involved in our lives. That Scripture is is God-breathing and is useful for training us and for training the people that we are influencing. And so Lois and Eunice took seriously the commands of Scripture. They took seriously this command in Proverbs that says, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. They took seriously this law in, in, in Deuteronomy 6 that says, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then it it, it says what to do with that command. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Talk talk to your children about it. Teach your children. I want you to notice something here. In 2 Timothy Three and in Deuteronomy six, it doesn't say, "Oh, just set a good example for your kids and they'll get it." You know, you've heard that famous saying. Well, I used it last time I preached. You know, uh, preach preach the gospel if necessary. Use words. Words are necessary, and not just your words, but the words of God are necessary. Is what it's saying. It's saying the challenge for us is that we actually teach our children scripture. That we're not just setting a good example but that we're actually teaching them scripture. And I want to emphasize something. I need to get real, 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 real with you this morning. Tri-Cities Church has an amazing City Kids program. Lisa and her crew do a fantastic job downstairs. Underneath our feet right now, there's some amazing teaching and some amazing praise and worship, some pure praise and worship that goes on every single Sunday. And I'm so, so grateful for it. But I want to make this clear. We, as Tri-Cities Church, and as the City Kids Ministry, will never pretend to take the place of Christian education at home. It's got to start with you. It cannot, it cannot befall to us. It must start with you, Mom and Dad. It must start with you at home. It must. And, and what I'm grateful for this morning is that I had a mom... Who would come in every single night into my brother in my bedroom she would read the bible and then she would sometimes use this book this big yellow book i love this by the way i look I, I went and got it from her garage <laughs> last night <laughs> and uh i love how it says this book belongs to alice ann vernon crossed out crossed out christina carol vernon crossed out crossed out and then I had my, I used my dad's stamp. It says J.D. Vernon stamped right there. But you know, it just kept passing along, along to all of us. It would probably belong first to my oldest sister, Laura. But she used this book every single night, and she would she would not just pray for us, but then she would have us pray. And she taught us how to pray. But she she would read the scriptures. And and the funny thing is this, I, you know, I had a mom and a dad who who loved Jesus so much. That that their first priority for us What they desperately wanted for us is to have a relationship with him That's how much they loved him And so I would go to christian camp in the summer And one summer they nicknamed me bible Because I kept you know, I had all the answers, you know, I I knew all the scriptures But it was because my mom had taught me I didn't learn that at, at sunday. I, well, I probably learned some of them in sunday school, but Mostly, I learned them from my mom. And I, I have her to thank for that. But remember, this message is not just for moms. It's not just for dads. As I said earlier, whether you're a parent or not, if you're a follower of Christ, there are people that are watching you. There are people that are looking up to you. Christian coach, your team is looking to you for the truth. For, and, 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 and troop leader, those girls, they want you to be authentic they are looking for an authentic, authentic faith, aunt or uncle, your nieces and your nephews. They need you to speak the truth, to speak the gospel into their lives. And remember this: to share scripture, you've got to know scripture. And when you know scripture, it just starts flowing out of you. And and when you share scripture, it does not always have to be book, chapter, and verse. You know. It can be the truth, and you just say it, and you don't have to say book, chapter, and verse. You can be in a a totally non-church setting. You can speak the truth of the Bible, and they'll have no idea, oh, that came from the Bible. (laughs) It's just the truth. And so, because of an authentic, living, breathing faith that was passed along from a mother and a grandmother to a young man named Timothy we are reaping the benefit. He became one of the most important leaders of the early church. And it all started with a mother and a grandmother. The legacy of faith from these two ladies lives on as we read the words of 1 and 2 Timothy. That's their legacy. In in fact, today, when we talk about a, a young person that's going into the ministry... And if they've been mentored by a certain person or a certain church, we say, oh, yeah, that guy, he's a Timothy of so-and-so. Or, oh, she's a Timothy of this church. We use the word Timothy, actually, as as kind of a noun to describe that person. So if you ever hear that in in Christian circles, they're talking about someone that kind of has been mentored in the faith by somebody. Well, I want to talk about, and you all have heard me talk about him before, some of you have. Um, I want to talk about a Timothy of mine, a Timothy of mine, but also a Timothy of, of the church where I first served, where I was where I was a kid myself in, in youth ministry. It was my first ministry out of college. This kid's name was Pete. Pete Dockery. He was in my youth group, and yeah, <laughs> don't you know it? Yeah, can you scoot that picture over? Just crop the, crop the guy on the left out. Um, <laughs> I haven't changed much, have I? Um, Pete, Pete was, when, when I first got to Corinth Christian Church out in Loganville, I was working with teenagers, and Pete was barely, I don't even think he was a teenager yet, he was like 12, 11 or 12 when I first met him. And not only was he a kid in my youth group, but he was like a kid brother to me. I got pretty close to his family, in fact, Stacy and I, uh, took one of our first vacations with his family. Um, and so, yeah, we got to know them really, really well. But I, I would go and hang out at their house a lot. And, and you know, Pete and I got pretty close. And, and you know, of course, he sat in on youth group lessons. But, but even before I got to Corinth Christian Church, Pete had already started to be grounded in the Word. There was a, a children's minister and his wife who saw the importance of scripture and so every year at camp man they had the, those kids memorizing a ton of scripture ton and tons and tons of scripture and so so Pete knew the word he had a mom and dad who loved Jesus a whole lot and who taught him at home and so Pete grew up and as he became a teenager you know he became a teenager <laughs> and there were times that I just adored Pete loved him with all my heart and there were times I just wanted to s- squash him <laughs> And, and he, would, he was one of those kids that, that everybody always loved him or, or everybody in the whole youth group was angry at him, was mad at him because he would, he would you know, insult some girl or something like that. And so and he was kind of moody like that too. And, and so we, we, we would take the kids to, to Christian conferences. And one of the conferences that really emphasized and challenged kids to consider full-time ministry. And so one night, sure enough, Christ and Youth Conference, Pete Docker goes down the aisle and commits his life to full-time ministry. And I'm thinking, I'm just seeing this kid that, yeah, I'm like, okay, you're going to tick off a whole congregation of people. They're just going to leave you, you know. You're going to be preaching at some church and say the wrong thing, and, you know, they're just going to leave you. I'm like, God, wh- what do you have for this guy? Well, his senior year, was the, the summer after his senior year, we took a trip juarez mexico mission and pete fell in love not with a little señorita (laughs) he fell in love with missions and with mexico and really fell in love with god and so he took this trip and 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 then that summer he had already enrolled at atlanta christian college point university And so he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to do some type of mission work. And so even before he graduated, he started working for an organization called Casas por Cristo, which builds homes for poor people in Mexico, which which partners with churches to help reach poor people. You see, Pete Dockery, and and, and let's fast forward. I want you to see a picture of him now. Oh, oh, it froze. Oh, y'all didn't get to see all those pictures, did you? Oh, I hope you saw them with your mind. There's more pictures we <laughs> were frozen on that one, though. Pete Dockery now works for Casas Pro Cristo, and, and he um, he builds houses for poor people. And his, his life work, his life mission, is rooted in scriptures that he learned as a kid. Scriptures like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Scriptures like the one... We read earlier that says faith without works is dead and how can you see a person that has a physical need and do nothing about it? He read that scripture and it became a part of him and what he's doing today. This Timothy took the scripture and now he's living it out. And what's cool, I wish you could see that picture of his family. It's just so beautiful. He's got a beautiful family now. He's got four kids, uh, three and, and an adopted kid. And I looked on his Facebook page last night and there's one of him teaching Charlotte how to build houses, you know. And I'm sure as he's teaching her to build houses, he's sharing God with her as well. And it goes on, the legacy continues, the legacy continues. So that's what today is about. It's about you having a, a faith that is authentic, a faith that is living, but a faith that you don't keep to yourself, a faith that you pass along. And again, it's not just for moms, it's for all of us. It's for all of us So today we're going to celebrate as we do every single sunday. We're going to have communion There's two tables in the front. There's two tables in the back And after I pray in a moment Feel free whenever you're ready to walk to the table that's closest to you and and take the bread Which is the body of christ the cup, which is the blood of christ Feel free to give your offering at that time as well But as I was thinking about these tables, I was thinking about legacy I was thinking about how that when we surround a table like this, we celebrate the body of Christ that was hung, hung on, on the cross, but we also celebrate the body of Christ around us. We're celebrating the body of Christ that sitting on the chairs, the row with you, but also the body of Christ that came before you and the, the body of Christ that's going to come after you. The people that, that paved the way, that, that, that taught Scripture to this person, who taught it to this person, who taught it to this person, who taught it so on and so on, and then it got to you. That's what we celebrate when we come to the table. So today, think about that. Think about the sacrifice of Jesus that made all of it possible. So let's, uh, as the, the praise team comes, we're going to pray together. And then uh, feel free to go when you're ready.